Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. In this episode, Craig and I discuss Book 3, Chapters 8 through 11, in an episode entitled Dejour Palantir Get HD with special guest from Houston, Texas, Rebecca. Of course I want that moment. Hey everyone, welcome back. I just deafened you again. It's my gift. Once a week, once a week I make it a point to give you a waveform so ridiculously large it blasts your drums out. And we thank you for that. You're you're most definitely welcome. Um, so, how did you like the ending of uh, book three? Um, yeah, it was okay. Uh, 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 Nothing really. I love this ending. I love it. Um, there's a, I just feel like it's a great cliffhanger where you get done with this battle of Helm's Deep and it's big and it's epic. And then you take a few chapters and you're kind of like winding down. You get the aftermath, you, you flash back to the battle at Isengard with the Ents and whatnot. That's pretty exciting. But you know, then it kind of, it winds down and then all of a sudden, boom, Pippin looks in the stone, the ish hits the fan and uh, and then Gandalf's like, holy crap, we gotta move uh, because the world is about to explode, you know. And then end of book. I love it. Okay. When you sell it like that, I, I'm buying. Yeah. When I'm reading through it, I I felt and uh, based on its positioning in the book, I feel like in the middle of a TV series when you're going through and there's a lot of, you're kind of like, okay, you're reminding me of things that have happened and. I just I, I wasn't quite getting to the I wasn't quite getting that same cliffhanger esque moment at the end there. I was kinda mm-hmm. like, okay, so that's what happened with Isengard and now we've got to move on to the next section. Got it. Yeah. So Curse of the Movies. Yeah. Maybe. Move, maybe. Maybe not. Um uh, now I meant to ask you something last week or during the last cast, which was um have you or maybe I did ask you. Ah oh, shoot, I can't remember. Um, ask again, we weeks can are slow. Uh, have you studied the maps? Are you bothering with the maps? I did ask you that, now that I say it. No, you have, you, you've brought up the maps a number of times, but you have not asked me specifically if I'm paying attention to the maps. Are you paying attention to the maps? I only paid attention to the maps at the beginning when I was blame, you know, complaining and whining about taking forever to get out of the Shire. Beyond that, <laughs> I have not really spent a lot of time looking at the maps. Um, you should, and so should all who hear my voice. Uh, there's a great moment, I love it, in um, in the last chapter of this book when... Um, Mary is talking to Gandalf and he says, where and what are Helm's Deep and all the rest of it? I don't know anything about this country. And Gandalf says, then you'd best learn something if you wish to understand what is happening. Uh, you know, that's a great little uh, meta moment, a little commentary for all of us readers. Take some time and learn about the land that you're in. Now, can I tell you, um, I, I nerded out hardcore recently. I got a map of Middle Earth, a really nice one from Weta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had it shipped over and then I went and got it framed. It's up on my wall now. <laughs> so, I, I'm along with all my other maps of, you know, Europe and and Utah and uh, whatever else, my kids are going to know the geography of Middle Earth. Thank you very much. It's true. Until they get crayons to it. <laughs> oh, so help me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, my heart is going a little faster now than it was before. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Uh, well, good. Uh, what do you say uh, we move on to Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia, um, and we will 
put your your metal to the test. Very well. Uh, now I need to get to Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. Um, do you feel like you're you're ready for this one? I, I was last week too easy after the crazy difficult one. Last week I definitely. Uh, I don't know if it was just because of the previous week coming off of that or not. I definitely felt a little bit more um, capable last week. Yeah. This week, as I was reading through, and it's the curse of doing trivia each time, is that I know, as I start looking for things, like, that could be a question, that could be a question. <laughs> and I know there's, like, three things that I remember going through, like, that's gonna, that could be a question. Yeah. And I don't remember them now. Oh, <laughs> perfect. That's what I like to hear. All right, so let's play Greg's Lord of the Rings trivia. Here we go. Question number one. What was the final score of Legolas and Gimli's rather violent game? Uh, Gimli wins. It's, I want to say it's like 43 to 42 or something like that. Yeah, I think in the movies that's correct, but it is in fact 42 to 41. Oh. I'll give you a half point. You remember the movies. That's pretty good. Uh, I remember it was in the 40s. That much I, <laughs> I knew it was in the 40s. Members from this group were the only ones to surrender to the Rohirrim in the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, the hill people, the... Yeah, the men Dunlanders. of Dunlanders. Yeah, good job. Excellent. Uh, what was Gimli so excited to tell Legolas about after the battle? The caverns inside Helm's Deep. Three for three. We're given two possible translations for the name Orthanc. One in Elvish, oh. one in Rohiric. What is just one of them? Yeah, this is one of the ones I looked at. I'm like, I need to know this one. <laughs> yes, you should. I, Orthanc, I don't remember what it was. In Elvish, it is Mount Fang. And in Rohiric, it is the cunning mind. Ah, uh, I remember that now. Uh, after the long description about it, who greets the company as they come to the entrance of Isengard? Uh, Merry, well, Merry and Pippin are both there, but it is Pippin that does the addressing. Uh, you're half right. Uh, Merry and Pippin are then, but Merry does Mary's the, the one who does, the, does address. the addressing. In all the flotsam and jetsam, Merry and Pippin have found a treasure. Which they share with Aragorn and Gimli. Legolas does not partake. What was it? It is uh, weed. Smoking weed. Correct. It is weed. Pipe weed. Um, as far as we know, only one Ent died in the assault on Isengard. What happened to him? He torched. He got torched. Correct. Beachbone was his name and he got caught in a spray of some sort of liquid fire. And mm. was burned like a torch. Uh, six people went up the stair to speak with Saruman. I'll give you a point if you can name four of them. To go up to talk to Saruman? Yeah. Okay. Gandalf. Um, Merry and Pippin. Er. Not both of them? No, neither of them. Neither of them? They stay at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, okay. Gandalf. Uh, he speaks to Theoden. And he speaks... I think Aragorn says something as well. That's Theoden, Aragorn, Gim uh, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli. Correct, no. yeah. Uh, and Aomir. Aomir, goes up yeah. as well. Uh, what was Wormtongue's parting shot at the company? He throws down the Palantir. Correct. Uh, how many Palantiri are there? Eight. Seven. Seven. Dang oh, it. that's minus two. So out of the ten questions, you got eight right. Do you want your bonus? Yes, I do. Best of luck to you. Where was the chief Palantir in the glory days of Gondor? In Minas Tirith. Wrong. No idea. It was under the Dome of Stars at Osgiliath. Oh. Close. Yeah. Not that far from Minas Tirith, or Minas Anor, as it was called in those days. Well, good job. Uh, <laughs> eight out of ten, not bad. Um, this one was did, yeah, it was kind of easy. Oh, well. I felt good about it. I felt it was good, and I... I 
I at least know that you read yes. the chapters. And for cheat. an English teacher, that would suffice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on and uh, bring on your challenger, who I'm very excited about this week. Uh, we have a special guest coming to us all the way from, where are you from? I am in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Introduce yourself. Well, my name is Rebecca, and I blog as Geek Lady at On the Care and Feeding of Geeks. Uh, which is at geeklady.wordpress.com. And I'm just a lady with a blog. Yeah, I, well, actually, I went there. How did I find it? Oh, that's right. You commented I was on. about Ents, I think. Uh, probably. Yeah, that's right. I read something about that. I actually found a comment that you did on some nerdy website or another. Um, and I thought it was a great comment. And so I went to your blog and I found you. And, and I'm glad that you agreed to come on. Um, oh, well. Uh, I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm really a little, uh, don't let me babble. <laughs> I I refuse. I refuse to let you babble. Um, That's our job. Well, okay. So tell us a little bit about your background with Tolkien. Tell us why you merit the name Geek Lady. I read The Lord of the Rings when I was eight years old, and that's enough geek for anybody. Wow, that's young. It is young, uh, but. I, man, I have read probably once a year for the last, oh, I can't do math. Don't date yourself here. Um, We'll just say Uh, that's an annual occurrence for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that sounds... 26 years? Yeah. So, um... So you've read it more times than even I have, which is impressive. Uh, That is impressive. Um, well, good. And, uh, do you have, uh, let me just ask you a random question here. Do you have a favorite character from the book? My favorite character shifts an awful lot. And, but I I just recently acquired a new one and it's going to be Rosie Cotton. Really? All right. Yeah, I've been a Sam fan recently, but I so was, have I was, we. I was sitting through and reading, and someone had said something about how Tolkien doesn't write strong female characters, and I was just so I was going through and I was kind of making a mental catalog of all the female characters he writes, and realized you know he doesn't really tell use them a lot in the particular story but when he writes one he writes a strong female character and hurls it at you like a brick uh and i was thinking about rosie cotton when he when i thought of this and i just haven't gotten around to blogging it so i guess i'll have to blog it well you can can, judge it then yeah uh, and send it to us and we'll link to it (laughs) uh well good let's uh let's move along uh, and uh, challenge you to Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. Ryan uh, scored an 8 out of 10, and he did not get the bonus question. Uh, okay. So, But the bar is high. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you read the chapters uh, for this uh, particular segment, then I don't think you'll have much problem. Uh, so here we go. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, question one. What was the final score of Legolas and Gimli's game at Helm's Deep? 42, Gimli, 41, Legolas. Nice. Not even hesitation. Wow. Members from this group were the only ones to surrender to the Rohirrim in the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, The Dun Landings. Correct. What was Gimli so excited to tell Legolas about after the battle? 
the glittering caves of Aglaron. <laughs> she even she got, got the name, name, which, by the way, is shame. a completely redundant name because Aglaron simply means glittering caves in Sindarin. Oh. Yeah. Well. How about that? Uh, we're given two possible translations, speaking of translations, for the name Orthanc. One in Elvish, one in Rohiric. What is just one of them? Uh, well, I know them both. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, the Elvish is Mount Fang, and the Rohiric is the Cunning Mind. Nice. <laughs> Be honest, do you have notes right there in front of you? I have absolutely no notes. <laughs> <laughs> that disgusts me. Um, who greets the company as they come to the entrance of Isengard? Well, Merry and Pippin. Well, yes, but who greets them? Oh, well, Merry greets them. Pippin is asleep. Ah, that is true. In all the flotsam and jetsam, Merry and Pippin have found a treasure which they share with Aragorn and Gimli. What was it? Two barrels of long bottom leaf. That's right, from the south farthing. As far as we know, only one Ent died in the assault on Isengard. What happened to him? Uh, he was hit by a big gout of fire that I believe sprang up from the ground. Yeah. That's true. He was burned like a torch. As far... Oh, no, wait. That's, I just asked that question. I'm not going to ask it again. Uh, six people went up the stair to speak with Saruman. I told Ryan I'd give him a point for just four of them. I, you know, from you at this point, I kind of want all six. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> all right. So, Legolas and Gimli, Aragorn, Gandalf, Theoden, and Aemir. Oh, my wow. gosh. <laughs> I'm just going to go hang my head in shame in the corner here. <laughs> Uh, okay, what was Wormtongue's parting shot at the company? Wormtongue's parting shot was throwing the Palantir. Yes, how many Palantiri are there? There are seven. Yes. Wow, is that ten for ten? So far she has not missed one. That is she ten has... for ten. You even gave me like a mercy half point on one of them, and <laughs> this is ridiculous. We rounded up to a full point. Um, yeah, so ten out of ten. Wow. And she didn't even hesitate on any of these. Yeah. I'm okay. So let's I have to defend my nickname. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> hey, you've done so well. Um but there is a bonus question. Uh this will test well, no. It won't test you any more than you've already been tested, I suppose. <laughs> Here we go. Where was the chief palantir in the glory days of Gondor? The chief palantir was in um oh my gosh, Osgiliath. That is correct. Under the dome of stars. Wow, okay. Sorry, sometimes I have trouble remembering how to pronounce these. You know, <laughs> your your name, or at least your moniker, Geek Lady, is going on my list of all-stars. When yep. we get to the end of this, you're going to be taking on a woman named Lori. Uh, who else have we had that's been really good? Adam. Adam was really good. Anyway, uh, so yeah, you're, you're going on the all-stars list, and uh, we're going to have you battle it out in some extreme Lord of the Rings trivia. In fact... <laughs> I just cleaned out uh, some of my stuff from my parents' basement, like, from oh, a Lord. long, long time ago, and found Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit. I think I'm going to dig that up for our <laughs> final podcast on this particular topic, and uh, and we'll, we'll have a game of uh, Trivial Pursuit over the radio. That sounds like... Um, <laughs> we'll figure out the logistics for that it sounds like good radio that's what it sounds like yeah. um well excellent job rebecca geek lady um tell me uh was there anything from this section that jumped out to you we want to kind of hear what your thoughts are uh, from having gone through this particular section i can never read uh this section without thinking 
how modern Saruman sounds when you set his voice against everyone else. He sounds like a modern day politician. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It just makes me hate him. (laughs) Is that because he sounds like a politician or because he sounds like an evil politician? Are all politicians evil? You don't have to answer that. All right. That's not entirely fair. I suppose theoretically there's a possibility of a non-evil politician. (laughs) We could also believe in unicorns and fairies and other things like that, too. And that men and elves and dwarves can run for three days. easily speak. And, oh, he's full of it. Oh, I yeah. agree. Uh, no, I really like that section. I, um, it, it, both him and Wormtongue, the way that they speak is, uh, I mean, they're presented as obviously these people are evil. And so, you know, obviously we shouldn't pay attention to what they say. But if you listen close or if you compare what they say closely to what you hear in the real world, this is really how people speak. And this is really how they manipulate others and how they get what they want. Seeing it in real life maybe isn't as easy as uh, how it's presented in the book. No, you're too emotionally engaged in real life sometimes, but... Yeah. Well, good. Um, would you say from this section, is there anything that uh, that helps you or could help us answer the question of why people love The Lord of the Rings Elsa, so much? And then you have the Legolas and Gimli bantering, and then you have Saruman trying to manipulate. And so just the his command of language and all these different voices without anything clashing is always really striking for me i agree i uh his use of language when you go when you compare from the beginning of the book toward here in the middle and then as you move on into the even more heroic chapters uh has always has always really impressed me i love the heroic chapters i really love them yeah. They're my favorites. Uh, would you say you you prefer this storyline of the wars and the heroes and whatnot over the Frodo and Sam storyline? No, I just I I like this this liking the stories and appreciating the language is kind of on a I like the whole story very very much, but I just I love the language. Uh, when we get the the high language and the Rohirrim saw and the the poetry, oh my goodness, the poetry! I love all of this part too, and that's why I think I love the heroic sections. Is you get more of that. Yeah, more of the kind of high fantasy type stuff. Yes. Um, uh, I, I especially love the Rohirrim and the the Rohiric poetry. Although I don't think, yeah, we didn't get much of that we don't we get a ton a, of it although i we gotta have a say a little bit of ants I, I i do like the uh when the ants march off to war that's a good one um, yes uh, i i love the ant song we had a little bit of ants and we i don't think we got the rohirrim marching off in this chapter so no remember way back in i think it's the beginning of book two when bilbo i was telling ryan about this uh, bilbo recites his little poetry about um you know, old departed friends and whatnot, and that really stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that wears the horse and the rider, um, the one that Theoden is it Theoden that says yes. it, yes. yeah. And that one really jumped out to me on this particular reading. I mean, it's always been nice, but this time I it, it jumped out, it grabbed me. I slowed down and, and read it a few times. It's really good. 
Oh, you ask the me. the one that always the two that always grab me are Boromir's funeral dirge and uh, the one at the end of the muster. The muster of the Rohirrim. Yes. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, so I know. Don't spoiler spoil alert. the book for us. Oh, that was a that was not a spoiler. Uh, I just told you there was more poetry coming. That's almost a given. <laughs> Until it says the end. Uh, at, after which there's plenty of poetry to be had, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I have a I have a question for you here. Um, part of what we're doing here is I'm actually new to the reading side of the Lord of the Rings series. I've I have I started it a long time ago, but never got through it. And uh, you know I enjoyed the films and everything. Do you have any advice to someone who is new uh, to the Lord of the Rings readings um, or things that you would say? You know. To help them really uh, enjoy the enjoy the books, or would you just say, "Nope, just read it, and you'll enjoy it"? I would say that this is a book that need that benefits a great deal from being read aloud and being listened to. I don't know what it is about it, but it really benefits from being read aloud, and. It especially benefits from being read aloud by someone who can handle all of the elvish words and rohiric things. And so I really like Rob Inglis's audiobook. He, I think he does a very good job of it, but. Okay. I, you know, I like that. I, I wonder, a thought just occurred to me and it's, uh, so I can't pinpoint anything specific per se, but this was written by a guy who spent his entire professional life studying a people and a language that was uh, that had a, a stronger oral tradition than a written tradition. Everything was passed down orally, and then you know a few things got written down. You know, so that's how we have things like Beowulf. But but these were you know oral traditions, oral histories that these people had passed down. So I, I bet that a lot of that had just you know, whether consciously or unconsciously, leaked through into what he was writing, kind of that style of communication. Well, The other thing is is that it, it you can't really expect it to be the modern novel. This is before most of modern fantasy came around, so there's loads of description. <laughs> now, I love that. I eat that up, but... <laughs> That's actually one tell. of one of my points is actually pointing. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Is it hits on it's that topic? Yeah, me so. too. We'll probably steal it. Well, um, Rebecca, geek lady, however you want me to call you, I don't know. I really I introduce myself as Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on um, and smoking Ryan in uh, Craig's Lord of the Rings <laughs> trivia. Although, you know, I, I got to say, it's not like Ryan had a poor showing. You did mm. really well. Yeah, but but to compete with that is a bit of a tall order. Still going back to geek therapy. <laughs> okay, um, I'm sorry. Now tell us again uh, before we let you go. Your website, anything that you want our listeners to go check out? Oh, I I just blog very sporadically at uh, geeklady.wordpress.com, on the, and my blog is called on the care and, on the feeding, care of and geeks feeding of geeks because I have two little geeks. Nice. Well, good. We will check it out. We'll uh, throw a link on there for you. Um, and we appreciate you coming on. We'll be in touch for the grand finale uh, in which you will, you know, we'll put you in a bracket and you'll go head to head with somebody. All right. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. So thank you. 
All right, thank you. Well, my goodness. Uh, she was impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm gl- glad we had her on. Uh, so I guess let's move on with uh, what you and I want to talk about together. Uh, your impressions from these chapters. You said uh, you wanted to bring up something about descriptive language or whatever. Well, it's it's not so much about descriptive language. That That's part of the larger picture here. It's a... Uh, I know part of what our, our goal here is to say, why has this lasted so long? Yeah. Um, you know, will this continue to last type thing? There's kind of a third question that fits in between the two or that fits as part of that that I'm, that I had come into my mind as I was reading right now. Okay. Um, and it is, if this were to be published now, as is. Ooh, good question. Would it, would it, would it be popular? Would it work? Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously this this has worked and it will continue to work as a classic, I believe. Yeah. We've kind of noticed themes and things that we can all notice with. But the fact is, is the narrative style, as was pointed out earlier, a lot of this is very different than what we're used to in a current, in our current novels. Or any novel. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything that quite fits, you know, the same mold as, as what we're reading here. Yeah. And I think that part of, because with Two Towers so far, I've had a little bit of a, a difficult time getting into the two towers as much and not because i've thought it was bad or because it was boring or anything i just there's something different about it that hasn't clicked with me yeah. and i think it's just the style yeah it is the the language like we were saying the language definitely changes he shifts the the style like you say as as we move along so and i think if i were to be a little more accustomed to it or having gone through it once or something mm-hmm. coming back around another time I may be able to find the more find a little more excitement in some of the cliffhanger moments because I'm not having to, th- I'm I'm thinking about it, but I'm not being surprised by yeah. the difference in layout there. You know, it, that reminds me. I had a thought when you asked, you know, what what would she suggest to somebody reading this for the first time? And my suggestion would be, you've got to read it twice. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, to fully appreciate it at least twice. And the first time, I would say, just read it as fast as you can. You don't understand what he's talking about with that history? Skip it. You can't pronounce that name? Don't worry about it. Just go. You know, kind of get an idea uh, for for the places and the events and the names and whatnot, but just move on. Go through the story and, you know, and enjoy it at a quick pace. And then, when you finished it that first time, then you go back. And then you read it a little bit slower and try to connect some of the dots and uh, and learn a little bit more about the history. So you and I, we're kind of doing it backwards. You know, mm-hmm. I'm making you read this really slow. Yeah, but uh, anyway, but for anybody who is reading it for the first time, that would be my advice. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I. But coming, I mean, coming back around to the whole sure. thing there. The if this was released now, you know, I my personal feeling. I don't know that it would necessarily stay on a bestsellers list very long right now if it were published now with no no previous history. Yeah. I don't know if it would or is not. It, is it, so is it the style or the length or what? I think, well, I think, right, I think honestly um, style right now. Yeah. And I think if this were released, like if, if this were written as is, we have no prior, you know, anything that's... No movies, no nothing. Nothing there. No, Just yeah. the books being released right now as they are. I think you'd have people coming through and go, you know, a publisher or an editor would probably go, I don't really see, this isn't... Oh, this would have been hacked to death by an editor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There's the the 
who was it? Rainer Unwin, you know, the son of, of uh, the original publisher, I think it was, who said, you don't go around editing Tolkien. You know, like when he was working with his uh, his publishers on this, it, his was the ultimate and last word mm-hmm. about, you know, what was going into this story. They had their say on how it was going to get published as far as splitting it into three volumes and whatnot. And, you know, that's something. But as far as the content, no. Tolkien was king, and he was not going to be gainsaid, you know? <laughs> so, okay. uh, so today, he wouldn't have been able to survive the modern publishing process because, you know, somebody would have wanted to take a scalpel or a hatchet to parts of this, and he just would not have allowed it, I don't think. Yeah, we would have gotten it in uh, as a series of blog entries yeah, somewhere. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> Lordoftherings.wordpress.com. Oh, boy. I bet that exists. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, well, okay, so, uh, I agree with you that the, that the style is wildly different from the first part of the book, but I love it. And I gotta say, one of the things I love, uh, is that he's getting more and more descriptive. Now, I don't always love this. You know, there are parts where I feel like it gets a little long-winded and whatnot, but then there are parts where I think he really... You know, he hits the three, he sinks the putt, he, whatever other sports analogies you want. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the part uh, where he's describing Isengard for a couple of paragraphs. Um, and, you know, obviously Isengard, at this point in the story, it's not a terribly pleasant place. It's not a place you want to hang out. It's got, you know, well, it's flooded when we get there. And it's got fire spouts and machinery and everything's broken down and whatnot. But... The way he describes how it looked originally and the way it was originally uh, made me want to visit there at Isengard as much as any place in Mm Middle-earth. And this only really happened to me, I think, on this reading. You know, obviously, well, Florian is really striking and we want to be in Rivendell and we love the Shire and whatnot. But Isengard sounds awesome. There's like this circle of, what, cliffy rock things that are kind of shaped but kind of natural uh, you know, that's a mile wide and it's got this uh, wonderful like forest thing in the middle of it with all these nice lanes and whatnot, all leading to this super strong fortress of man and surrounded mm-hmm. by all these little houses and shops and whatnot. It, it all sounds really cool. Um, and so, you know, as far as, like you say, the style changing, that's one thing that I love mm-hmm. is when he's just, when he's on top of his game with those descriptions. And I think that this might be one of the explanations for why the Lord of the Rings is so popular still and will continue to be is because um, he is good at describing this place and giving you somewhere to escape to. Um, You know, you're not just kind of skimming over events with no backdrop. You're really diving into this world. He he describes it so well. I find it ironic, though, that... For the number of times, and for as descriptive as, as descriptive as he can be with some of these things, how many times he also pulls the opposite card and says, and there was a battle. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Like, so he paints a backdrop and then says, something happened there. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later when I recap it with this other character later on. Yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. It reminds me, I, I just had the thought of uh, playing Blizzard games, you know, uh, Diablo and StarCraft and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Blizzard's um, philosophy is gameplay comes first and story comes second. You know, it's uh, and I wonder if his is a similar thing. It's not gameplay, but it's setting. Setting uh-huh. is king. 
like it's all about the setting what happened there i don't know some stuff whatever we'll it's all about, about let's go to this place and let's you know let's explore this place mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. anyway what else you got um i have a, a kind of a question or a, a or a set of creatures that really interested me oh okay and it's the the ants that aren't ants exactly i guess they're ants that the become... trees that aren't trees they're they've become more treeish, but they're not trees yet. Right. The horns. The horns. Yeah. The horns, because they the way that it's described in the book that you know the ants are you know they're giant trees, and of course you're going to be like, oh, there's a giant tree. I'm a little concerned about what could happen to me. <laughs> but these are the creatures that you were supposed to fear. Like if there weren't other ants around to shepherd them, they would be a terror upon everyone else. Right. And so I'm like. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would like to know more about that group and see that group in action, right? if you don't mind. This is where the wonderful world of fan fiction comes in. I bet that there's some sort of fan fiction out there about the Horns and their adventures. or Oh, man. I it just If it, not, you're writing it. Yeah, there we go. That'll be... I'm going to write the story about angry trees. <laughs> um, no, there's... If you've ever watched, uh, there's some other... Some different stories out there. Where you'll have this group of bad guys, but then there's the one bad guy inside there. Like, uh, you know, for more a more kindly example, we'll go to a bug's life. You have the grasshoppers, and they've got that one crazy one that, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always those characters, you know, when you've got a, or they've got their one champion that's just frothing at the mouth or whatever. That's what I'm envisioning trees frothing at the mouth. Getting ready to come in and like, and just taking off. I'm like, that's awesome. Did you make the connection back to uh, Old Man Willow? No, I did not. As far as I can tell, Old Man Willow, Horn. Okay. Considering, I mean, they're they're still near Fangorn, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Right now? Or with Old Man Willow? No, with the the force of the answer came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's right by Isengard. And... The Shire was part of Fangorn at once. Like way back when. Yeah. So it totally makes sense. It would it would work. Yep. Um, good. Yeah, I love that too. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so speaking of crazy characters, how disturbing is the idea of half-orcs to you? I guess it's dependent upon what the other half is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's confirmed to us uh, at some point in these chapters that Saruman has been crossbreeding orcs with men Mm -hmm. um which is gross yeah right and so it you know it's interesting um that such a terrible idea can be brought up without um delving into the apps the actual terror of what must be happening Mm -hmm. you know you can imagine saruman taking humans captive and making them the sex slaves of orcs and like crossbreeding ground you know yeah and what's interesting here in here I go. Here, here's my attempt at waxing deep knowledge. There, you have philosophize the, with me, man. The humans that they've taken in, obviously. Yeah. And the orcs are a tortured breed of elf, correct? Right. So really, we have three different groups here. We have this tortured elf uh, grouping there, and we have the humans there. So would this not be the worst of all worlds? I essentially. I mean, you're. I, I don't really know exactly where to where I'm going too far with this, but there's something about that whole concept of you're taking the worst of both sides and making another creature out of it mm-hmm. that could potentially make it like one of the worst of the creatures. So yeah, 
Yeah, and I mean, they are like total baddies, these Urukai, right? The fighting mm-hmm. Urukai. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of all I wanted to bring up. Oh, although, did you also, another connection, did you notice when they talked about the Southerner from Bree? Yes, I did How, notice that. Yeah, one of Saruman's, uh, apparently one of Saruman's uh, spies was up in Bree. So apparently they look enough like humans to, you know, to, to be passable in a group. To hide away. I mean, he was noticeable, but passable. So Interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all. What else you got? Um, another generic question thing to see if I can get a little riff on here. Saruman is the symbol of the white hand, correct? Yes. Is there any significance to that? Because they take, there's actually a bit of time spent on the hand symbol when they're going in, when they first oh, go in. yeah, that, like the statue? Yeah, there's red paint. Mm-hmm. I guess they, the nails get painted red or something like that. It's like it was the white hand, and then they talk about, you know, it's got some fabulous little red nail polish type <laughs> thing going on. And then when Orc they come... manicure. Yeah. And then when they come back out after Isengard, mm-hmm. the ends have taken it and they've broken it and they've left a single finger, which I really wished it would have been the, uh, the middle one. The middle one. <laughs> <laughs> but they leave one finger and they're all colored black, I believe. I didn't catch the black part. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to double check it. That's that's not, you know. That's not doctrine. <laughs> but there was, I just thought it was interesting. Like, why, why is that? Why is it important for us to see that it's a white hand, you know, his original symbol or whatever? With red on it, and why do you, why did they have to destroy his symbol like that? Well, I mean, it's uh, obviously if you have a symbol, then destroying it is symbolic of overthrowing that power, right? Mm-hmm. I um, so I don't know. Uh, let me take your question maybe in a little bit different direction and ask why why the white hand? Uh, why would that be Saruman's symbol? It's, uh, you know, it's interesting that Sauron has the red eye, as in, I'm watching you. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I know all, I see all. Um, I wonder if the white hand has anything to do, and you can totally shoot this down because the thought just occurred to me, but um, I wonder if the white hand has anything to do with the symbolism of the 20th century that Tolkien was seeing, as far as the, like, Eastern European... Uh, communists and socialists and whatnot, and they're the symbol of the the red hand. They're in a fist, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that was their symbol of power and and uh, defiance and whatnot. And Saruman's is uh, you know white because I'm Saruman the white, I suppose. But it's mm-hmm. a hand, just like that. And the way, just like Rebecca was talking about earlier, the way that he speaks sounds very much like one of these 20th century politicians who, you know, was kind of a rabble rouser and whatnot. Mm -hmm. More modern person. I guess I could see that. My question, my, my challenge to that or question to that would be then, because Saruman was not always that way though, based on the little bit Gandalf has talked about him in the past that, you know, Saruman the white, he was the wise and everything beforehand. So was the, I guess it would have to be a timeline thing. Did he, take that symbol later on or if that's been a symbol the whole time what why is it the symbolic changing of the the fingernail color or whatever symbolic of him turning know. to the dark side or whatever because well I don't, I don't know about all that I, I bet it was just a bunch of hooligan orcs that kind of painted it but i could be wrong I got know. an idea let's give it a manicure <laughs> i don't know it's just that i thought it was 
with everything else that there's so, so many things that have such tiny symbolism that I'm sitting yeah. here trying to think, well, getting into the minutia. Why, you know, why, why did it have, why did it have to be painted, you know, red or whatever? Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, um, of imagery, like we did earlier, one of my other points was about the storming of Isengard. Now, um, you, I think, didn't much care for the Treebeard passage a few chapters ago when Merry and Pippin were kind of walking through the woods with him, and you preferred Tom Bombadil. Am I correct? No. I like Tom Bombadil. Or I like you uh, like Treebeard, Treebeard okay. better than Tom Bombadil. Oh, okay. I felt okay. it was very akin to Tom Bombadil. Yeah. The difference was is Treebeard isn't just kind of crazy. Treebeard actually had made sense to what right. he was talking about and his reasoning and explanation of of things right um okay well anyway um i just yeah i i guess i remembered incorrectly but i was also comparing the two uh but then the thought occurred to me tom bombadil never did anything like the storming of isengard and again there's this uh, really awesome descriptions and this these awesome images of how the Ents are storming Isengard and they go up to the walls and he describes, like, you know, I, I can see him sitting there like, how would walking trees assault a wall? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, obviously they're going to like root in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I love the way he talks about it. They, they do the work of a hundred years of tree roots in just a moment, tearing up the stone like bread crusts. I don't really have anything else to say. Just... I just really loved that, and I wanted to point it out and say, "Hey, that's cool." Now we can move on. No, Unless I you think, have something to say. I, I I agreed. I thought it was. I did think it was really cool about that. This has actually been. I would argue with myself and say that that is my favorite battle sequence in the series so far. Yeah, like Helm's Deep was cool and everything, but the Ents. I don't know. Maybe it's just something. Something the Ent battle um, with Isengard. Because it's the one, it seems to be the one thing that no one can prepare for. Saruman's not ready for for these trees to come out. I mean, if you knew that the Ents were coming, what would you do to stop them? Run. I would build a giant <laughs> fire. Oh, I see. <laughs> around, around my city right. and make them come through and figure it out. But he's not prepared for it. He's not expecting the, for these for the Ents to fight back or for this this group that he's really quite irritated by cutting down right. everything around him. You know, and, and just there's a little bit of uh, the earth will win out in the end. Yeah, totally. Here. It's like the the um, uh, naturalist in him, the environmentalist. Yeah, you know, and, and it is interesting that, like you say, with Helm's Deep, he kind of glosses over, and then there's this big battle. It takes you know maybe a page, page and a half, and he tells all about this battle. Um, but then he seems to really describe the assault of Isengard pretty thoroughly. Yeah. So I, this this is maybe just what he really cared about. Yeah. I think it's I, I enjoyed that. Um speaking of their time in Isengard, there is something about Mary's welcome. And I'm sad that I got that one wrong because this is actually a point that I wanted to bring up. <laughs> that is pathetic. <laughs> and I thought it was quite interesting. Treebeard ter- tells them or something, you know, when he's explaining it, that Treebeard leaves them there to welcome the the group that he sees coming. Yeah. And he says, give them the best welcome, you know, that you can, that you hobbits can manage. And the welcome he gives them is just kind of like, welcome to Isengard. Um, 
what's your point? <laughs> yeah. I if you look back, there yes. have been a couple other instances where there have been where they have been welcomed in somewhere or where they've been brought in. Yeah. It's very ceremonial, very uh orchestrated. There's usually a, a grouping that Some have met sort with of them. Pomp and circumstance. Yeah. This yeah. is just kind of like he's sitting there smoking, the other one's asleep. Eh, we're hobbits. And our welcome to you, the best we could give a king is to say, you're here, welcome. Well, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying, but in their defense, uh, they're super full of delicious man food. Uh, They're probably pretty drunk uh, because there's lots of wine and they're probably pretty stoned at this point. Well, Lots of weed. The thing is, I absolutely love that that they're... Greeting is like that. Yeah. Because, because it's, it's just so hobbit It's just a hobbit thing. Yeah. It's like, if you walked into the Shire, you wouldn't expect a, a group of hobbits to come up and welcome to the Shire and, and everything. Whatnot, you just yeah. walk by and they'd be like, hey. <laughs> Where are you headed? The Where green you dragon's on the left. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly it. And so it's very hobbitish. And it shows that despite all their time out, despite everything they've gone through so far, they're still very much of the that hobbit-esque yeah totally them. they haven't and, changed a ton and when uh so when theoden and gandalf ride off to go meet treebeard uh the last thing that was it mary or pippin one of them says ah so that's the king of rohan seems like a nice dude <laughs> exactly <You know? laughs> like, no that was the king of rohan this is not a this is not a small thing you just met the king of rohan yeah it seems like a nice guy yeah <laughs> we're good i like that um well good uh so the king of rohan uh let's take him up to the stairs of Orthanc. He's talking to uh, Saruman. Now, um, because I know Tolkien was a fervent Catholic, uh, a lot of times as I'm reading The Lord of the Rings, I hear echoes from the Bible. And there's the part when Theoden says, uh, Saruman says, can, can we not have peace? And Theoden says, we will have peace. And you're like, oh my gosh, is he agreeing with him? Like, did, you know, whatever. Did the voice take over? Uh, but then he says, We will have peace when you and all your works have perished and the works of your dark master to whom you would deliver us. And I love that. Uh, and it reminded me of um, of something that Jesus says in the book of Matthew. Um, when he says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. And uh, it's it's one of the more interesting passages in the New Testament for me. Mm-hmm. And it makes this all the more interesting as well. I, I think a lot of Christians have a little trouble with that passage, you know, trying to reconcile the, their concept of uh, a loving, forgiving Jesus. You know, that's uh, really, uh, what am I trying to say, benevolent God yeah. with this guy who's like, no, this is, I mean... Yeah, we're all about forgiveness and second chances and whatnot, but that's not primarily what I'm about. I'm about I will it. flip your table in the temple. If yeah, you exactly. Set it up. Totally. Yeah. Um, and so the idea, I guess, is that there can be no peace with evil. If you look at the context of both passages, um, it's about not making peace with things that are not right. Uh, and I really liked the concept as it was presented here uh, by Theoden. Um, and uh, let's see. So my question for you, did that grab your attention? And then the second question is, is Theoden right to say that? Um, or or can there be compromise? Um, did it catch my attention? Yes. It made me, it brought another question to mind, which I will throw back and we'll banter this question here. All right. He says there, you know, there can be no peace or whatever here. And to which I think, for him, that is 
absolutely true. Everything that has gone on in Rohan, all the the lives lost, everything that's been going on, have been because of Saruman's uh, actions there and the actions that have from Mordor there. And I think that in this sense, the type of evil that was done there, yeah, you you don't get the option of compromising there. My my thing was then, well, if that's the case, why'd you leave him in the tower? I mean, I, we he's been essentially he's made toothless. Right. My next my next point is actually about Gandalf kicking Saruman's trash. Just yeah, so go go ahead. We can but, kind of combine both of them. Go ahead. Because well, I thought it was absolutely everyone in the group is amazed at the fact that Saruman has to obey. Gandalf's command. It's like, get back here. Uh Nah, not done with you. And I'm banishing you from the order because I'm now Gandalf the White. You're Mr. Fabulous up there. Your staff is broken. And crack, there goes your staff, everything. And it's like, oh, okay. Apparently we've got a new new leader in town here. Um, I just, I was amazed at how quickly once the proper authority the proper power you know gandalf was there that he could just command this his this guy who kicked his trash earlier in the book right put him on the rooftop just basically just with his words nope you're you're done crack everything's there um yeah i just just a good passage you just enjoyed that imagery or what well yeah i I enjoyed the imagery i enjoyed it but it left me wondering because i know you can tell at one point gandalf wants Saruman to be an ally still. Mm-hmm. That's why he's going to talk to him. If he didn't care about talking, you know, about anything from Saruman, like, you know, we've defeated him. Why not just let the Ents kill him or let someone attack him or something like that? He's giving him an escape route, actually, because right. he says, you know, you've, you've disappointed your master. Um, you're not going to get any mercy from anyone else here. This is your only chance, really. Right. And he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. So why why leave him in the tower? Why? Well, so this goes back to that concept of uh, hate the sin, love the sinner, right? Mm-hmm. So Saruman has done these terrible things. He, uh, but now Gandalf has come to punish him. He breaks his staff. He strips him of his titles. Um, and uh, but now at this point, when he's offering uh, some sort of of truce or some sort of alliance, it's with Saruman, not the things that Saruman has done, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's still some worth to this this wizard, right? There's right. still something good that he could do, even if he's not as powerful and illustrious as he once was. And give him a chance at redemption. In, right, in, right. In give yeah. him his Bor- Boromir moment, I guess. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, when Theoden says... Uh, um, he says, when you hang from a gibbet at your window for the sport of your own crows, I will have peace with you and Orthanc. I love the passage. It's super stark and harsh and wonderful. But at the same time, maybe it's not as wise as Gandalf's course of action. Because mm. you're, you're, he's not allowing for that chance of redemption. He's just saying, you know, uh, I'd rather kill you than, uh, you know, than give you a shot at at uh, forgiveness yeah and 
in the long run, Gandalf, you know, if, if Saruman had been able to, had decided to, to help out or whatever, that's a bigger win than just getting rid of him. So mm-hmm. it's being able to see the bigger picture, I guess, which is what Gandalf's really good at. Yeah, all right. Speaking of big picture, uh, there's a lot of speaking of in this particular podcast. Have you noticed that? Speaking of this. Let's go on to this point. Um, we're doing great with transitions. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're well-skilled at this. We get one little indication in this chapter of some sort of religious belief uh, throughout Middle-earth. Uh, you know, like we've mentioned earlier, the, the good in the book, the good forces tend to be uh, relegated to the background. It's, you know, it's all about faith or whatever. But did you notice that when Gandalf, at the very end of the passage, Gandalf is asking Pippin, what else could you possibly want to know? You're annoying me with your questions, you inquisitive little hobbit. Mm-hmm. And Pippin says uh, that he wants to know the whole history of Middle-earth and over heaven and of the Sundering Seas. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. He talks about over heaven. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, that every once in a while we get this little thread of, yeah, these people do believe in something. It's just not really talked about necessarily in the books. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I questioned if it was a belief thing or or a distaste thing or something when Legolas said no to the, like everyone else decided is, takes the, the weed, the weed thing, but he's like, he just, he did, he wouldn't take any of it. I, I was like, I didn't know if that was an elf thing. Like we're not going to sully ourselves with this Probably. or <laughs> because they, they usually think they're better than everyone <laughs> or if it or was if it's more like religiously keeping his body pure or something. something like I I didn't know. I just thought I was like, that's interesting. I wonder why the elves would be, whether is it just him or, or yeah. what? Yeah. I wasn't sure, but I'm Pippin. I'm glad you brought up Pippin because he is. He is one of the characters that I, in this section, have come to identify with most. Oh, okay. Like, you Why can... Is that? Because I understand the knack and the curiosity. Mm-hmm. So, everything that uh, they go through in terms of their um, being kidnapped and, and going through all that and... Everything. But when we get when we get to the 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 palantir with the with the palantir, he all he does is touch it. He gets just a taste of it, and then Gandalf's like, "Nope, thank you very much." And he talks about this. He's like, "I wish Gandalf would have given me more, you know, Some something sort of explanation other than just nope, this is mine. I don't right. get that." Because that to that is something in my personality. If I start with something, or if I get a taste of something or whatever, and then you say. Thank you. Nope. Whatever. I am very likely to be very curious and go try and figure things out on my own. Yeah. Come Christmas time, it's a miserable time if I figure out, if I find <laughs> even so much as a hint of something that I picked up. So it's very much, and it gets me into trouble. And that's why I'm sitting here like, I recognize that. I recognize that bit of Pippin in me. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I have that, that troublesome curiosity because there's curiosity that sends you like researching and everything and like oh i want to learn more about this and then there's the type that says i just want to know enough to 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 satisfy satisfy my 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 desire here right which always leads to i need to know a little more just a little more i you know i'm i'm the kind of person i uh, i'm also very curious when it comes to something like gossip i don't tend to normally share a lot of information about other people you know i i I don't spew forth a ton of gossip uh, 
but man, I want to know everything about mm-hmm. everybody. So if somebody's talking about something and I can't quite hear what they're saying, I want to know what they're talking about. It doesn't even matter what it is. I just need to know. Yeah. I feel like I need to know what's going on. Even if I'm not doing anything with the information. At know? least you have the information. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, when Pippin is, uh, he's, when he's talking about that, what you're, what you're saying as far as the, uh, I wish Gandalf had given me more information. It reminded me of, um, of the philosopher who once said, uh, give me, what is it? Give me enough reason. Tell, tell me sufficiently why I should do a thing and I will move heaven and earth to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Gandalf really shortchanged Pippin on this one. And, you know, he's got it. His mind is occupied. It's not like he can think of everything all the time. But, yeah, all he, all he says is, I'll take that, my lad. And that's the end of it, as far mm-hmm. as Gandalf is concerned. But if he had stopped and said, no, that this is an object of great power and we need to be careful and blah, blah, blah. If he had actually sat down and, and or stopped and said, all right, Pippin, I'm taking this from you and here's why for your own good and it's for everybody else's good then you know Mm -hmm. pippin wouldn't have done what he did we would hope there's still that side of him that that might have maybe of course if he hadn't done what he did then you know things might not have turned out very well so yeah uh good i think that was about 12 points yeah that was all mine all right cool um okay i guess we'll head oh actually i did want to mention one thing I uh, did I ever tell you about the guy I met in France smoking a pipe? No. Uh, it this was. Um, I was just thinking about this because these hobbits and Gimli and Aragorn they're so excited to get their hands on this excellent tobacco mm-hmm. uh, from the South Farthing, and uh, you know nowadays you wander around if you see somebody smoking a cigarette or a, or a cigar or a pipe for that matter it smells bad. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not a smoker, especially, you don't want to, it's not very good. But one time in my life, I was in France, I had knocked on this guy's door, he comes to the door, he's, um, he's smoking a pipe, he's very professorly looking, mm-hmm. um, and, and this, as we're chatting with him a little bit, this pipe smoke wafts down. It was delicious. It was so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he must have been some, you know, rich old codger who could afford the primo stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't, you know, overly processed and had all the additives or whatever. I don't know. But it smelled so good. And in that one moment, I was, I finally thought to myself, you know, I, I don't plan to ever take up smoking, but if I did, at least I know that there's good stuff out there, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I, I kind of sympathized a little bit with the hobbits in this case. I would definitely go smoke a pipe. Well, yeah, depending on what was in that pipe. Yeah. Um, anyway, good. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, people. That's the that's the, the, the sign off there. Yeah, put indeed. that in your pipe and smoke. I'm not going to get anything better. So <laughs> shall we head off? Yes, we're Frodo starting book Sam, four. Here we come. Yay! And this is going to be one of my favorite sections, so let's hurry up and get to it. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.